Welcome to Own It from Women Lead Change. I'm Tiffany O'Donnell, the CEO of Women Lead Change. On today's episode, I'll be talking with Karen Forgus. She's the Senior Vice President of Business Operations for the Cincinnati Reds. In her current role, she oversees a variety of departments, including ticket sales, corporate sponsorships, community relations, diversity initiatives, communications, and so much more. In 2014, she was even selected as a game changer by Sports Business Journal, and she is. I bet you're wondering, if you're like me, she must be a baseball fan, right? Well, you might be surprised. Welcome. Karen Forgus joins us from the uh, Cincinnati Reds. Pretty incredible. Karen, thanks for making time for us. Hey, thank you. This has been a very unusual baseball season, so I'm very happy to have the opportunity to talk to you. Officially Senior Vice President of the Cincinnati Reds Business Operation, right? That's the, the official title. Okay. How? Why? I mean, fill us in. Well, you know, it's one of those things I I tell you, before the very appropriate thing called imposter syndrome became a name for it, I would call myself the accidental executive because it was just one of those kinds of unusual things. And it was literally the perfect alignment of things that happened. We had a new owner come in to the Cincinnati Reds in 2006. They bought the team. And at that same time, I had been in uh, radio advertising sales really since I got out of college. I'd done a couple other things, which I'll talk about. About, but that was where I was at that time. And because of I'd gone back to that because I could work four days a week till the bus came. And I had three girls in high school. And so it was all working out. And in 2006, my radio gig that was four days a week till the bus came got rid of flex time. They announced that starting the following year, no more flex time. So I started to look around and the radio station I worked for carried the games. And I had heard at the end of that 2006 season that after owning the team for a while, they were going to start hiring and they wanted some people that had not been in baseball. So I went and threw my hat in the ring for a part-time PR job because at that time, the front office only had PR, publicity PR that was for uh, sports news. It was kind of like a sports information desk. They weren't doing any of the softer side. And so I went and applied. I didn't really have any experience in it, but I thought I would try it because I'd been at the radio station who sold the advertising And lo and behold, I got the job, which was great. And so I go in in my first day, basically, of my flex time, part-time job. And I find out when I get my badge that I was actually the vice president of marketing. (laughs) And I was like, what? I had not even, I would never have applied for the vice president of marketing job. But uh, they had benchmarked other baseball teams as a new ownership group. They went around and traveled. And on the baseball side, they're very competitive and nobody shares ideas. But on the business side, of sports, everybody's very willing to share best practices because you really are competing for ticket buyers, which is the majority of the revenue stream. And in benchmarking other teams, they came back and looked at their org chart and said, we really need to take and do our own marketing because they had four outside agencies at the time, no in-house marketing. So they decided to do that. And lo and behold, the only new body they had in was me. And so they tell me my first day, oh, by the way, you're going to be vice president president marketing. And I said, I really need to speak with someone. Because I, you know, here <laughs> I speak am. To your boss. <laughs> I, I need to, they need to understand, you know, I am not the person I would never have applied for that. And so I, they, they, you know, again, I, I tell you what, there's nothing like an entrepreneur. I love entrepreneurs. They live outside the box. And so I go to talk to the entrepreneurial family that owned the team when this all came together. And I was very clear. I said, look, I didn't really want to mention in the interview, but I don't really love baseball. It's okay. And I go to games and I have fun, 
I said, but I am not, and I have no experience being, you know, a vice president of marketing. I've been in sales, which they said a couple of things. And the owner looked me in the eye and he said, you know what? He said, I appreciate you telling me that. And the fact of the matter is you're the kind of person I need to get here. So you're who I need to get. So you probably would be able to market this team because I've got the people who love baseball. We made you a vice president, not because you deserved it, but because if I don't, the people that are still working here will not let you in the meetings because you won't have enough title to get in and be welcomed into their world that we took over last year. So I've got to give you a title. He said, but look around, you have no staff. (laughs) You are a department of one and I'm going to give you six months to tell me what you think I should do. What I brought to the table at that time was exactly what I thought was my weakness, which was I had three girls in high school. I had no time. You know, life was hectic. There's 81 home games for a baseball team. That's a three to four hour commitment. And that is not realistic to think you're going to get people. So I kind of just having walked the walk, I was able to bring some common sense in because I wasn't overly pedigreed, if you will. So that's what we kind of built the model on. I kind of just piecemealed things that I read, I heard about, and we kind of came up with the philosophy. We are in the time business, ultimately, because we make money five ways. Three, three of those are tied to attendance. The, tip, the difficult thing with attendance, there's no tension of supply and demand. We have way too many seats. We have a ton of games. There's no natural tension there. So you're ultimately competing for people's time. And to get their time, you got to quit selling them stuff. So we quit selling stuff. We put in a consumer model and we just started valuing connecting more than commerce. And that's how we kind of righted the ship. So we actually have our demand curve. We started to create demand along a consumer-centric mindset, which really hadn't existed in sports. So then from that, uh, within a year and a half, the COO who was here at the time that I got hired, retired. And so my previous boss got promoted. And then he put me in his old job. And again, not necessarily because I was the most pedigree, but because I'd been in marketing and communications, I understood how it all came together. Mm -hmm. And so I could be trusted to kind of never you know, like the uh, conductor, I wasn't going to try to play the violin, but I knew when the violin was supposed to come in. (laughs) So anyway, so that's kind of where I got where I am with the with the team, we're still owned by the same families that are all tied to Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, we're still hoping to win. (laughs) It's been a wonderful, wonderful learning experience. You know, there are so many lessons in there for those listening to us, whether you're, you know, a current or emerging leader, an existing leader, from a leader's perspective, how smart of leadership back in the day to say, you know, we don't need the pedigree. Actually, we don't want that. We want, you know, the person that we're theoretically selling to. So to identify that, um, I want to say take a chance on you, although I think they knew exactly what they were doing. And then to evolve their mission away from, you know, just selling tickets. Let's just don't sell tickets. Don't even bring up how much a ticket costs. Your summer is decided by the stage of life you're in, period, basically. You know, it really is. Your time is decided by that. My first office overlooked the front gates. And so that first season, I would watch people come in happy and leave sad like a casino. I was like, what the heck? What just happened? Because we didn't win very much at that first year. But, you know, but you could see it was everything. It was, it was grandparents. It was date night. It was families. It was the spectrum of, and the one thing they all had in common is that they chose to spend their time here. So we just had to start marketing to them in all those different ways. 
We'll get back to our conversation with Karen in just a minute, but I want to let you know about some virtual opportunities we have, specifically a workshop called Men, Women, and Words, Communicating Across the Gender Divide. And this is with our friend Amber Nelson, who articulates specifically how we communicate differently and gives us tactical ways to improve that. Let's talk a little bit about your world of baseball in COVID. How have you pivoted? Well, you've got two, two phenomena here. Everybody that you talk to, you have your, your workforce. So we have our employee workforce, which is one thing I'll talk about in a minute. But then you actually have your literal business. And our business is playing the games. So, of course, that requires communal living for players and travel, two things that are taboo. And then the way we monetize our product requires people to attend. <laughs> and that requires communal here for lines for bathrooms and seats and everything else. It was a threat across the board to our very well-being. So fortunately, we're part of a league and there's 30 teams and Major League Baseball did a phenomenal job of coordinating 30 separate businesses in the league, 30 separate teams who are across multiple states with states having their own jurisdiction over a lot of the futures of the game and a players union who's tied to the whole thing. They had to navigate so many different forces to try to make sure this season happened. So for much of that, we were completely on the sidelines, but yet being part of it all, they did a great job of working through that and getting us up and running to where we could get the season started on July 24th. And our players are sacrificing because they can't see their families. Even though they're not officially bubbled where they're all living and working at the same fields, they have agreed to be quarantined and isolated and, and really separate themselves out during the duration of the season. So that's just a great thing they did. So now the next thing, my fans, what about our fans? You know, the only thing they can do now is TV and radio. They cannot come into the stadium in person. And as I said to you earlier, well, it's part of a tradition. They would come once a summer, you know, I'd come twice a year. It's what my family does. And now they cannot do that. So that was another thing. How do we keep that connection viable and alive while we're all in this together. And that's really what we're banking on is that they understand we're all in this together and they're following us. Our social media numbers are great and viewership and listenership is high. So I think the engagement's there and they'll hang in and they understand that we are actually going to always err on the side of caution. If and when they come to games, we set it up safely. So our 40,000 seat ballpark here, we have got it manifested for whatever we're allowed to do. So the governor of Ohio is very proactive and we're hopeful that by the start of next season, we'll have an understanding if we're going to be at 20% capacity, 50%, 100%. So we're building all those scenarios. So those things, I think we have had a really rugged financial year, but I think the overall vitality of the game and the business is going to be okay into the future. So I feel good about that. As far as our workforce goes, I was so worried about them, but we have almost 5,000 seasonal workers. They're not wow. employed by the, yeah, they're not employed by the red. Most of them, they're employed by the concession workers and security and ushers and all that, you know, you know, so they, they were yeah. not able to work this year. That was hard in itself. And we created a relief fund so that they could apply for some dollars. All 30 teams put money up for something like that for their individual market. And that's been a benefit. Then you had our front office staff, you know, the ones I talked about who I've watched come in as interns and stay, get the real job, get married, have kids you know this is the life we all do life together and not only was I were we going to be able to all be sustained when we don't have games to execute are we going to be furloughed and you know can we keep our workforce under the new business model we've had a lot of those uncertainties and then we had to learn to work virtual the virtual remote organization and I got to tell you we are humming 
I mean, it took us a while, all of us, to adjust to the Zoom life. I think everybody in our world at baseball, like I said, it is the event business. So there's a lot Mm of long stretches of days that you're gone from home a lot. And so I think our whole front office is embracing being able to work from home and be home. This is the longest time I've been at my house since I had my youngest daughter in 1992 when I had a six-week maternity leave. And I was like, wow, I am home a lot. So we've just proven that we can work really effectively and happily from home. We'll be opening up the front office at some point here soon. And we'll probably like schools are doing and probably your business. We're rotating Mm -hmm. people in and and we're just going to kind of ride that wave. But I do think it's a proof that we can indeed go forward and allow a lot more work from home opportunities than we've ever done before. I am loving this conversation with Karen. I want to let you know really quickly about some virtual conferences coming up. On October 8th, we have our debut conference featuring Cy Wakeman, among others. Central Iowa, October 28th. Oh my gosh, talk about dream speaker for me, Elizabeth Gilbert. You may know her from the book Eat, Pray, Love. We also have the Nagoski sisters who are authors of a book called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And I don't know about you, but I need this like yesterday. And then finally, our final conference of the season, November 10th, is in the Quad Cities. At least it comes out of there. Again, all virtual these days. One of the highlights of this conference is Carla Harris, and she'll share her pearls of wisdom. Hope to, quote, see you there. I have to assume you were in a male-dominated business. Very much a male-dominated business and a product that is all male because the players are all male. The, the product itself, there's no room for women in that product innately because they can never be a player. They're starting to add some on the baseball ops side to being a coach. We finally have at the professional ranks, we have one, I think I can think of, you know, female coach manager at that major league level versus some of the minor league and the broadcast booth. We're, We're trying to find some female voices for broadcasting, you know, because it is just by nature of the product, there's not a lot of women in it. Very much, I'm, I'm the lone ranger, as they say. How have, have you seen that in practice? Have you been affected by that? Can you share with us any stories about how you've had to manage being a woman in a male-dominated yes. workplace? So, uh, yeah, and, and for me, it's not even unique to just being in sports. It's definitely here in sports, but it's been true my whole career. And I think part of it, again, is my age and stage. But I see, I deal with it a lot. I deal with it all the time. I'm not invited to all the meetings, just I'm not always included in meetings. I definitely don't get all the invitations that they get for golf outings or dinners. I don't get included. And even if I do, then I'm not allowed to bring them a date or a spouse or, you know, I'm not always included to even do that. And that's just not uncommon. That's pretty common. So it's just the way it is, you know. Hmm. Has it ever really, have you ever just gotten to your breaking point? No, um, mainly. And, and again, I think part of it is just my style of, of leadership and management. And also just here at the Reds, we really, everybody's kind of hands-on. We're in the events execution business. So I just focus on that. And I'm really, I'm much more paired with the people that are, you know, work with me and for me than the people above me per se. We do have an executive leadership team of four that kind of run the business. So there's myself, and then we have a chief financial officer. We have a chief operating officer, and then we have attorney. So we, I'm definitely in those rooms who run the business. Because my role is really operations, I spend almost all my time with the people operating the business. So it doesn't really bother me per se. And again, it's never 
I think it's more oversight. If it's ever happens, it's more of an oversight than an intention. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing too, that I do find is it's consistent among the female leaders I talk to. Um, You know, it can actually be even offensive to some. And I understand that when, if I were to ask the question, what's it like being a, you know, a female CEO and a male dominated, that can be considered offensive. And I get it. It's a dumb question to them. And to most of them, it's a silly question because clearly it's not something that they're focused on and it's just their reality and they've navigated it, which is why they're so successful. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that too. One truth I would say is from just having done it for so long and watched it for so long, and now I almost do it for sport, (laughs) is um, (laughs) I think as a female, the one thing you do have to watch is you kind of lose the ability to show emotion. Even in in your peer group, in a closed, safe setting, that you have got to really think of yourself more as a thermostat. You can't go too high with the room or too low with the room. You got to try to stay as even as possible. Because if you do just blow your gasket one time, you know, it could then it takes much longer for that to be seen as an anomaly than, oh my gosh, you know, and that's just the truth. You know, it's interesting. I was just telling my senior in college daughter, uh, she has a difficult conversation coming up uh, with a group of adults at her university. And I literally said those words, do not get emotional. And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, you don't understand when you're in it, you're going to want to get emotional like you are with me right now. Don't don't do it. It was my advice to her. So that's... I don't know if that was good advice, if I'm just feeding a stereotype or not, but I know it's, it's effective. It's very effective. And I actually extracted that because when I, when I got the opportunity to work at the Reds and I didn't feel equipped, I love to read and study. So I, somebody had given me the John Wooden pyramid of leadership, you know, and it was a great tool. And one of the things on there said, emotion is your enemy. He had like 13 different steps and I took three of them and I lived by them. They carried me to this day. And one is emotion is your enemy in business. Mm -hmm. I was like, that is a good one. The other two, the carrot is mightier than the stick. And then the third one, which suits my soul is consider yourself a teacher. And I think as far as leading people, for me, I had to develop a style. And I think when you approach somebody as, hey, I'm going to tell you this because it's something that'd be great for you to know or learn versus coming in and saying, do this, you know, it was a great tip for me to approach people like I was teaching them something versus Mm -hmm. telling them something. Do you have anything you consider a failure? There's always situational things here. You know, you look back Mm -hmm. on, you know, a decision you made in in a moment that you wish you would have handled differently. So I've got some of those, but they're so specific. It's a personal thing for me because I really wanted to be home. I wanted that season of life when I had all the kids under roof and to be home all the time. And not that I wanted to be wearing an apron and making brownies. It wasn't that. I just wanted to savor every second because for whatever reason, I was always conscious of how precious and fast those 18 years would go. So I didn't want to miss a minute. So that, that for me is something that'll always be part of who I am. I, I, I'll have a regret there, but I also am proud that I was able to work and contribute the whole time and not have raised bad adults. <laughs> One of my favorite and, lines Jackie Onassis said is if you blow raising your kids, you've got nothing to brag about. <laughs> no, no, here, here. You know, and I think some of what you said is so much we place upon ourselves because I know oh, you've had absolutely. conversations with your girls. The girls don't know anything different. All yeah. they see are the great lessons and their paradigm was that you went to work sometimes. Yeah, it's you exactly know? right. You're right. And you know what? Humble pie isn't, nobody wants to eat. Nobody even likes watching somebody <laughs> eat humble pie. So I don't mean no. to make it sound that way. I think that's why I love when I finally got this language and this imposter syndrome. I'm like, oh my God, that's me. And, and, and sometimes then when you have that kind of aha, uh-huh, 
this is self-imposed. What am I doing? Just, you know, own it where you are. Exactly. Absolutely. We have some new opportunities for you to enjoy all that WLC has to offer, specifically our new all access conference package. So for one price, $500, which by the way, it's a $609 value, who doesn't like a bargain? You can get one ticket to all of our remaining conferences this fall. You mentioned John Wooden and some some lessons yes. from John Wooden and what a great teacher. Do you have other other mentors, either famous well, or infamous that we should know about? One book that was given to me that I, I don't really always do business books very well, but the Sam Walker wrote a book called The Captain's Class. And from, from sports, it actually, he kind of studied 1,000 of the greatest teams to figure out what made teams great. And he, he kind of synthesized it down and he landed on this belief that it's really the captain. You know, it's not the coach, it's not the superstar, it's not even the goat who makes the mistake. It's, it's the captain. And then the characteristics of what makes a captain great. And the captain is really the key to a successful team. So for me, that book, The Captain's Class, it spoke to my soul and it really uh, mirrors the brand equity work we did here with the Reds to see what makes a Cincinnati Red player likable and successful. And then what makes a front office employee, what are the values we espouse? And that just lines up beautifully with the Captain's Class book. So I'd recommend that highly. It's a really good book. Going back to, to the decision to even apply for that position, um, you know, we talk a lot with women. I'm one of them that really had the opportunity to re, re-career, for lack of a better word. And I have to admit, it took quite a bit of convincing for me oh, yeah. to, to step off You know what I felt was a cliff, but eventually we realized was just a curb. It took some convincing. I'm just wondering, I mean, you thought it was just part-time at the time. Maybe that helped. You said you don't even really like baseball that much. So, I mean, what were you intimidated? What was it that oh, my gosh, I was terrified. pushed you over? Okay. I was, I was literally terrified. I remember that moment. First of all, I didn't want to leave the job I had because I really did like it. I, I just, I was very comfortable there and it was flexible. So I was pushed out of it. And again, I, I don't come on a show like yours, but the topic you speak very lightly because I really am the antithesis of the way that's supposed to go. I'm supposed to boldly go. And I backed into a lot of this, you know, which is part of why you yeah. have to fight the imposter syndrome, right? Because yeah, yes. you go you go into it almost, you're in the middle of it before you realize you did it. And so, yeah, I definitely was very worried about that a lot. And the, the notion that I had to work, because I did, and I would tell you that is very common. I'm watching my daughters. They're in a generation where two working people, if they're married or have a significant other, just to maintain the lifestyle we got them to, <laughs> right? But back in my... I mean, I was born at the, you know, near the end of 1959. And so the women's movement had already, you know, when I got to high school, it was pretty common for people to go to college. So I was just on the front edge of that. So working for me was going to be a novelty, but it wasn't going to be what I was going to do forever. And I ended up having to do that. So for me, it was really necessity that kept me going or I would have walked away from it. I would, my, my reason for wanting to do that was I had this belief that I couldn't be the best possible mother if I wasn't home all the time. And I didn't have the best looking cupcakes and I didn't have the novelty sweatshirt with the pumpkin on it and carpool line. And I had that kind of fear. But again, my, my daughters have told me a million times since, oh my God, mommy thought it was cool that you work. So I think that's almost a plague on my generation. And um, more so, I think that that is a, a thinking that is long path which is very nice to see. And that the working women here at the Cincinnati Reds, these, these women here who have kids that are under the age of 10 or two or one, I mean, they are 
proud that they do this. They're thrilled to be contributing to the household and to be in both places. And it's, it's just wonderful to see that evolve. Well, and I'd be interested to get your perspective on how being a mother and balancing all of those moving parts helped you in this position. I have to oh. think you had these skills that you never even knew you had. 100%. I would tell you that I've always said, if you get a working parent, male or female on your business team, you will get more done in an hour than any other way because they got to go. They have no option. They've got to go in an hour and I got to get it all done. So I've always been a believer in that. Yeah. And it was interesting because back in that time, there was an equal bias because I was flex time. So I had four days till the bus came and I was able to go to the classroom. And because though I would come in work clothes to that setting of the school, those women were not welcoming someone like me. And then because I was only part-time, I wasn't included in the true professional women's circles. So I was kind of outside of both worlds. And again, that is so gone now, which is great. And that is one of the blessings, I believe, of this quarantine, or it's kind of forced our company to learn how to work virtually. And I think there is now we're, we're breaking free of that belief that it's an 830 to 530. And if you can't show up looking a certain way, you don't matter. That is gone, you know, and it's just been a glorious side effect, I think, of the COVID that's going to take us into the future. That whole paradigm is going to get reinvented for the good. You bring up something that, um, you know, personally I can relate to in terms of being the working mom uh, when your kids are in school and maybe not all the moms are working. So you're not really included in that piece. It affected me more even socially because I did love my job and I worked a second shift most of my kids' lives. So I worked nights their whole lives. If I chose to work, then my free time was likely going to be with my family. You only have so much time. So I remember saying to one of our speakers at the Women Lead Change Conference, she was a college professor at the time and her kids were just going to college. And she said, I've rediscovered my friends again. And I kind of I dug a little deeper in that. And, and she said she was kind of in the same boat. She had to choose. If you love your, if you love your work and you love your family, you only have so much time. And she said to me, trust me, those friends are there on the other side. The really good friends will still be there. Absolutely. I had, yeah. you're exactly right. I was not included. And, and then, like you said, the times when I was off, I didn't want to go to the right. movies on Saturday night with eight of the girls. Cause I was home. It was Saturday night, you know, and I didn't want to mm-hmm. leave them cause I was gone that week. So yeah, it was, it was mm-hmm. really hard and you're right. They are there. And listen, I got a little secret for you. I am in the best season of life thus far. It took me a while. I got to tell you, when they left the house, by the time mine went off to college and then finished college, I have a great gig, very high profile, lots of fun. But I was devastated. I just, you know, like I said, being a mom was the best job I ever had and having them under roofs are my favorite people. And I, it, it was a huge adjustment for me, huge, and uh, took me a long time. And then when I got through it and I really kind of embraced where I stand now, it's a great season because you have this perspective and you have time. And I had not had time since 1988 when my first one came home. So I had time, you know, I'm curious, like you said earlier about things. And so it's a great season of life. So yes, you lose You can't be all things at once, but eventually at all, there's time for it all. That is a great lesson. You like your kids, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. I can't believe they like each other. That's the bigger question. Because there (laughs) was, you know, three girls in three years, I would get a phone call that just started with the word she. There was not even a hello. It would just be she, she did this, she did that. They're so close (laughs) together, close in age, I'm sure. And they're so different. My gosh, I could put them in the same dress and the same shopping cart and the same bathtub. And I realized there's zero chance they're going to be similar. No Mm -hmm. chance. (laughs) 
to, it's so interesting, Karen, because in so many of these conversations I get to have in the podcast, it's so far, it's been all with, with female leaders. And I often resist talking about the work-life integration because I just know my male colleagues aren't asked the same questions. They just aren't asked. I think they're getting asked more and more as culturally we understand real partnerships as more women do take those opportunities to rise. But it's just interesting that even our conversation thus far, that's really dominated our talk today. And, and I love it. It's my life. So I appreciate that. I, I really do. Recognizing yeah. that you know, our male colleagues might not be asked these questions, but I appreciate you being open to having the conversation. Oh, absolutely. You know, and if I want to be authentic about my, my work career years, that was a absolutely primary reality that it wasn't that even, you know, I would get into the office in the morning and the men there with stay-at-home wives are sitting there reading the paper, drinking their coffee before they started sales calls. And I'm racing and having done three car drop-offs and lunches and everything else. It wasn't that way. And what I see today, what I see from my chair is more 50-50. I see that the, the males in our office who have families are taking turns on everything. And it is assumed that if the kids are sick, it's both their problems and they go on. And it's, it's fantastic to see that evolution and change go on. Yeah. And the gender thing though, that it's still a long way to go in office settings, or at least in the C-suite setting, there's still a very big gender reality that you have to deal with. What do you consider your superpower and, mm -hmm. and how do you own it? Well, my mom's great line was always, hey, life takes more courage than talent. So that's a good line I always remembered. But I think if I looked at the way God gifted me, because that is the way I see everything, really everything I have is from him. It is a gift. I think it is I have an innate ability without trying to see connections and put language to it, put order and language to it. So I'm very good at seeing the connection points and things and putting that into words that can then be used to guide. Don't know why I can do that. Probably started because my big sister was bossy and I had to figure out a way to get around her. <laughs> in, my, in my little group of four guys, I do not have a postgraduate degree, but I do have that as a gift and it matters. It does help. It helps particularly in my business. Has it ever been a barrier? I, I realized in the beginning because I was in sales, you know, and when you're in sales, your strength is your ability to see connections and to come back with any count, point counterpoint. So the bottom line of that, I was hardwired my favorite color was plaid. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I can see red, I can see green, I can see, I can see all those things. So that was a huge disadvantage. You know, I had just been free to go down any one of those paths I needed to. So as I became more of a manager and a leader and a P&L supervisor, I had to really hone that in and be a lot more decisive. And I am decisive, but I'm not as direct as I need to be. So I'm still working on that. For the next podcast. May there be many more with you, my friend. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm grateful for the time we got to spend together and go Reds. Go Reds and congratulations to you for your bold gesture and going national. This is going to be great. I appreciate it much. And I thank you already on behalf of my granddaughter, who I hope will be listening to your 20th year. Here's to that. Be well, my friend. Thank you. I love hearing how women are able to integrate work and life. And for Karen, she really, I feel like, gives us all validation. And for some of us today listening, maybe even permission to be intentional about that. Recognizing there are times in your life when you really want to be intentional about how you're spending time at work and at home. I'm grateful for that insight today. 
Have you connected with us on Facebook yet? Because coming up on September 23rd, on our Facebook page, Connect Unite Inspire, you'll be able to hear from Season 21 Survivor contestant Holly Hoffman. She'll be on at noon that day. Follow Women Lead Change on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you haven't already, please give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate that. More information and tickets can be found at wlcglobal.org.